invite you to take your copy of scripture and turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, and uh, we will be looking this morning at verses 17 through 24, and uh, we'll begin in verse 17. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, uh, we've provided one for you. You'll find it either in the pew. If you're sitting upstairs, you'll find it in one of the pews around you, or you'll find a Bible in one of the chairs around you if you're sitting downstairs, and invite you to turn uh, to page 868, 868, and uh, one of the Bibles that's provided for you there. Luke chapter 10, and I'll begin reading for us in verse 17. This is God's word. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word and what a privilege and blessing it is now to be together and to gather around your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us now to settle our minds and our hearts and our spirits and to be quiet before your word and to hear what it is that you have to say to us. Lord, we thank you for Clark and Meredith in particular this morning, Lord, as we're going to be commissioning them to a new ministry that they're going to be engaged in. Father, we pray that this word might be especially meaningful and significant to them. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us now. Lord, we pray you would teach us. And Lord, we pray that you would expand our minds and our hearts to understand more of your grace and mercy in our lives and the great hope that we have in the gospel. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, we are currently in a series on discipleship. And so, uh, as many of you know, last week we started this series And uh, we started by looking at the opening verses of Luke chapter 10, and we're continuing that series this morning. And it's appropriate that we are talking about discipleship this morning, given that we have the privilege this morning to commission Clark and Meredith Dixon uh, to gospel ministry and to be a part of a new work, as Clark will be going to Springfield, Missouri, and uh, he and Meredith will be ministering there at Jefferson Avenue Baptist Church. And so we are, commissioning this mor- we are commissioning them this morning to go and make disciples. As they've been engaged in that work here at Crawford Avenue, we're commissioning now 
uh, them to go to Springfield and continue in that work. Uh, Some of you know that Clark uh, started to attend our church about six years ago. And uh, in his time here at the church, he has served as a community group leader. Uh, He has served as a pastoral intern. Uh, He has served part-time as a maintenance director in his time here at Crawford Avenue. Uh, But the best thing that happened to Clark in his time here at Crawford Avenue is no doubt that he met Meredith. And uh, he and Meredith got married uh, not too long ago, and uh, they have a precious little girl now, Karis, and we are so thankful for them. Uh, I have to acknowledge as well this morning that Clark and Meredith as well have been the ones who have been primarily responsible for reviving the van ministry in our church. And uh, that has been such a blessing uh, to our church and such a blessing to so many kids in our neighborhood who ride uh, the van to the church. And I know that many of the kids in our neighborhood and many of the kids that come on the van uh, and attend church with us on Sunday are going to miss Clark and May May. And uh, that was their, their nickname for Meredith. Uh, But we're going to miss you guys as well. We're going to miss the Dixons very much and have very much so treasured the time that we have with them and look forward to you guys visiting uh, often in the future. Well, as we've been thinking about discipleship in this series, last week we thought about discipleship and mission. That's what I just mentioned a few moments ago. That you know, in, 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 As we thought about discipleship and mission last week, Jesus was sending out the 72. And, and this week, we have the privilege of sending Clark and Meredith out for gospel ministry. But in our text this morning, what we see is that the 72 now return. They come back from the mission. And Jesus now, as they have returned back from the mission, Jesus speaks to them about discipleship and identity. So last week it was discipleship and mission. He's sending them out. Now they return from mission and Jesus speaks to them about discipleship and identity. And and identity is essentially what we find our worth in, what we find our value in, what uh, what we deem the reason for our existence and living. And that's what Jesus speaks to them about in these verses. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus, as as faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus who love Jesus and who love the mission that Jesus has called us to, there is a danger that we might seek to find our identity in mission for Jesus rather than in Jesus himself. And that's the temptation that the disciples face in these verses. With that in mind, I want us, as we work through our passage this morning, to be considering this question for ourselves. Where do we find our identity? You see, misplaced identity is a temptation for all of us. It is a temptation for pastors. It is a temptation for faithful church members. It is a temptation for those who have yet chosen to follow Christ and be his disciple. Because all of us find our identity in something, in someone. The question is, in who or what do we find our identity? Now, as we think about that question, one of the things that's really interesting about this passage, and one of the things I want us all to note, 
is that this passage, verses 17 to 24, a passage that addresses this issue of identity, this passage is filled with joy. In fact, as, according to my count, as you read through these verses here, there are at least six references to joy or the concept of joy. And the reason why that's important is because we learn in, this, in these verses this morning that our joy and our identity, what we choose to find identity in, are inextricably linked. So that... We will seek to find our identity in that which we believe will bring us the greatest joy. Whatever you believe this morning will bring you the greatest joy, the fullest delight, the greatest satisfaction. That's what you will seek to find your identity in. And so, if you are persuaded that your deepest and greatest joy will be found in having a successful professional life or garnering the respect of your peers or being popular with those that you respect or being financially independent or managing your family in such a way that it just all comes together and you have the perfect family. Whatever it is that you believe will bring you the greatest joy, the greatest delight, the greatest satisfaction, that's where you'll find your identity. That's where you'll find your worth, your your value. That's where you will find your reason for living. That's what you will be willing to live and to die for. Now, Granted, none of those things that I just mentioned are wrong. In fact, I think, if I recall all the things I mentioned, I think all of them are good. But none of them can bring us real, lasting joy and delight and satisfaction. And for the disciple of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus has a greater joy, a more satisfying joy, an eternal joy, the joy of knowing God and enjoying him forever. You see, if, if we have that joy, then that reorients our identity. That's what I want us to see in our text this morning, that the disciples' identity is found in the joy of knowing God and enjoying him forever. The disciples' identity is found in the joy of knowing God and enjoying him forever. With that in mind, I want us to look at our passage in three parts. First, the joy of fruitful ministry. Secondly, the joy of knowing God. And then third, the joy of the Father and the Son. So first of all, the joy of fruitful ministry. Look there in verses 17 through 19, and we read these words. The 72 returned with joy, saying... Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So as we mentioned earlier, at the beginning of chapter 10, the Lord Jesus sends out the 72 to love and to minister and to teach in his name. Now they have returned here in verse 17... 
And the text tells us that they returned with joy. In other words, they're excited. They're, they're pumped up. They're full of joy based on what they have just experienced. And we're told why explicitly in verse 17. The disciples say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so it seems like what has happened here is that Jesus has sent the disciples out. And by the grace and the power of God, the disciples have ministered to people in such a way that individuals have been set free from demonic oppression, from evil spirits, and and their lives have been transformed and changed. So, of course, up to this point, the disciples would have witnessed Jesus exercise authority and power over demonic and evil spirits. But now, Jesus is empowering them in such a way that they are able to exercise Jesus' authority over those demonic and and, and unclean spirits. And notice Jesus goes on to speak of the authority and the power that he has granted to his disciples. In verse 18, he says... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, some believe that Jesus here is referring to the original fall of Satan when Satan rebelled against God in heaven and then God cast him out of heaven. Others believe that what Jesus is referring to here is the crushing blow that Satan experienced when Jesus determined to advance his kingdom through the ministry of his disciples. So, so like on this mission that they just went on, as they were, as they were exercising Jesus' authority over demonic spirits, this was a blow to Satan and to his kingdom. Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And you know, there are times in the ministry of the disciples or of the apostles we see in the New Testament where it seems that they are immune to danger and to death. We see this illustrated especially in the ministry of the apostle Paul. Of course, there were times where he experienced great suffering, but there were other times like when he arrived at the island of Malta and he was bitten by a serpent, but to no effect. So, so this is a viper, it's a poisonous snake, and he's bitten, and, 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 and it has no effect upon him, and the islanders actually are so surprised that they think Paul is a god. Or when Paul is cast into prison in Philippi, and the scriptures record for us that there was an earthquake, and the, God used the earthquake to uh, deliver Paul and his missionary companion Silas from prison. These are examples of situations in which the disciples or the apostles seemed immune to danger and death. And this seemed to be what the disciples experienced on this mission as the 72 were sent out. They enjoyed a unique protection that the Lord provided for them in this endeavor. And so so this was was a remarkable experience that the disciples had encountered. They experienced divine protection. Uh, Demons were subject to their name. Uh, Lives were affected and changed. It was glorious. And they were thankful for how God had used them. They were full of joy in terms of experiencing God's presence and power in their ministry. And listen, my friends, as we consider what happened here with the disciples as they were sent out on mission, it should make us thankful today that God really does bless the faithful labors of his children. 
That there really are times in life and in ministry where we just experience the Lord's blessing and his favor and there's victories and there's, there's wonderful things that are done in the name of the Lord Jesus and lives are transformed and they are changed. We know from reading the Gospels that Jesus will oftentimes talk about the difficulties and the hardships and the challenges that will come to the disciple when he or she is on mission for Jesus. We saw that in chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Last week, Jesus talked about some of those trials and difficulties that will come. But we see here in these verses that ministry is not always marked by suffering and opposition and disappointment. There are, in fact, seasons of ministry that are wonderfully fruitful and satisfying and joyful. And if we're honest, most of ministry is a mixture of both, right? Like there's suffering and there's blessing. There's trials and there's victories. And it's a mixture of both. But when God chooses to bless, when God chooses to grant victories, when God chooses to, to work in remarkable ways, there's nothing wrong with finding joy in faithful and fruitful ministry. In fact, I believe, I believe that not only are there seasons where God will bless in unique ways in ministry, but we should expect God to bless when we pursue God in ministry. We should expect God to, to, to be gracious and to bless faithful gospel ministry. If we're seeking the Lord, if we're being faithful to his word, we should expect that the Lord will do good things. Having said that, there's nothing wrong with the joy that the disciples experience here. Having said that, Jesus discerns a temptation in their hearts. Jesus discerns a temptation that they would find their ultimate joy in ministry for Jesus rather than in Jesus himself. Perhaps more subtly, the temptation is this, that they would confuse their joy in ministry for Jesus with joy in Jesus, as though the two are the same thing. And no doubt they are intertwined, but they are not the same thing. In fact, Jesus makes a distinction here between the two. He acknowledges a distinction, and we would do well to acknowledge the distinction as well. That finding our joy and identity in ministry for Jesus is not the same as finding our joy and identity in Jesus himself. That leads us to our second point, the joy of knowing God. So first, the joy of fruitful ministry, and then secondly, the joy of knowing God. Look there in verse 20, and we read these words. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, consider this. The disciples have experienced this powerful, fruitful, thrilling gospel ministry They've exercised spiritual authority over demons. They've experienced divine protection from danger and from death. And, and any godly, faithful disciple of Jesus might be eager to say, okay, this is great, let's do this, sign me up. I want to be a part of ministry like that. 
But notice what Jesus says. Even after he describes this power, this authority that he's uniquely placed upon them for for gospel ministry, he says, nevertheless. Nevertheless what? Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, Jesus has a way of sharpening our perspective so that we will not settle for what is good, but that we will embrace what is best. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here that as legitimate as the joys of faithful gospel ministry are, they pale in comparison to the ultimate joy, the eternal joy of knowing God and enjoying him forever. Jesus is essentially saying that the joy of verse 20, the joy of knowing that your name is written in heaven, is greater than the joy of verse 17, that the demons would be subject to you in his name. And that is helpful. Because essentially what Jesus is calling us to do here is to have an eternal perspective rather than a temporal perspective. Your name is written in heaven, right? Because the reality is for all of us, there is coming a time where ministry for God will cease. It will come to an end. But relationship and fellowship and communion with God will never end. I believe I saw this illustrated in my grandfather's life. Many of y'all know that my grandfather was in gospel ministry for about 70 years, so a long time, and and he was actually the pastor of this church um, for 20 years back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But there came a point in his life where public ministry was over, all right? I mean, for, for some 70 years, he had preached just about every single Sunday. Hospital visits, you know, counseling sessions, revival meetings. There came a point, though, when all that went away. It was gone. And I remember watching him, observing him go through that transition. I think it was genuinely difficult for him. He loved being around people. He loved being involved in gospel ministry. It was a a tough transition for him to go through that. And in his latter years of his life, he was far more alone than he had ever been when he was in public ministry. My grandmother, she began to have dementia and Alzheimer's. It got worse and worse. And at a certain point, he couldn't care for her anymore. And she was in a nursing home. And so we would take him to visit her weekly. And of course, there was someone who came to check on him in the house and and make sure, you know, he had meals and things like that. And we would come as a family and, and visit him. But in those latter years, he spent a lot more time alone than he ever did when he was in public ministry. But you know, and I witnessed this in his life. In those latter years, the Lord was with him. He was really with him. Through word and through prayer, by his spirit Even in his latter years as he declined and as he spent more and more time alone, he had a joy in the Lord, a fellowship, a communion with the Lord that was evident. You see, my friends, ministry, no matter how wonderful or glorious it might be, ministry is only temporary. 
Ministry will only be here for a time. We will only be given the privilege to serve the Lord for a time. But life with God is forever. It can be challenging when we are in the midst of of faithful gospel ministry. It can be challenging to live in this kind of nevertheless dynamic that Jesus speaks of here. Ministry success can be intoxicating. And you think about it, like the church is growing, or your community group is multiplying, or your neighbor, or your friend you've been reaching out to for a long time actually starts coming to church, and they're growing spiritually. Maybe your family that you've been working on for so long, parents, like investing in your children and teaching them and instructing them, maybe the kids, it seems like they're finally starting to get it and mature in the Lord. Maybe your marriage is going really well and you're just really enjoying one another. And all of these things are exciting. They can bring a certain joy, a certain satisfaction to our lives, and that is wonderful. But we have to watch our hearts because, listen, my friends, if you make ministry the thing that you're finding your ultimate delight and your ultimate satisfaction in, you will destroy ministry. You will wreck it because it was never intended to do that. Jesus is teaching his disciples here that the joy of knowing God and enjoying him forever is a greater joy than any temporary ministry success can offer. Now, third, so the joy of faithful ministry, the joy of knowing God. Third, the joy of the Father and the Son. The joy of the Father and the Son. Look there in verses 21 to 24 and we read these words. Jesus goes on to say, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now I think this is remarkable, the transition from verse 20 to verse 21. Because in verse 20, Jesus is telling his disciples to put their joy in something greater than the ministry success that they've just experienced. Now, how is Jesus going to disciple them to do that? How is he going to lead his disciples to do that? Well, he models it for them. Jesus says, okay, I want you not just to, I don't want you to find your greatest joy and satisfaction and delight in ministry I want you to find your greatest joy and satisfaction and delight in God. So let me model that for you. And then what we read in verse 21 is that Jesus spontaneously bursts forth into praise. Look there in verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said. So imagine this. The disciples are around him. He's speaking to them about these things. And as they're having this discussion, Jesus begins to speak out loud to the Father in prayer, rejoicing so that they can hear it. And what does he say? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In other words, Jesus is modeling joy for the disciples. The type of joy he wants them to have. He's especially joyful because of the Father's gracious will. And what is the Father's gracious will and purpose in the lives of the disciples? Well, that he has hidden these things from the wise and understanding. And he has revealed them to the little children. So there's these things, and we're going to need to define that. There's these things, he's hidden them from the wise and understanding He's revealed them to these little children that surround him. Now, what are these things? Look at the very next verse, verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone, notice this, to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So that's the these things in verse 21. That's the things that have been hidden but are now revealed. It's the revelation of the Father. That's what it is. The Father has made himself known to the disciples through the Son so that now the disciples know the Father. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to rejoice in. Your joy should be a reflection of the joy of the Father and the Son. And you want to know what the Father and the Son rejoice in? You want to know what makes them so happy, what makes them delighted? Is that they have chosen, the Father has chosen to reveal himself to you through the Son. That's what I want you to rejoice in. That's what I want you to find your ultimate joy and satisfaction and delight in. Does God take joy in our ministry? Does he take joy in our service for him? Absolutely. But he takes greater joy in purposing to save us. He takes greater joy in writing our names in heaven and then determining that he would send his son to the earth to die an atoning death for our sins and raise him from the dead and then call us to himself so that through faith in the Lord Jesus, we are forgiven and we know him and we can enjoy him forever. God takes far greater joy in that reality. We will only serve him for a few years. We will know him and enjoy him forever. And in this, the Father delights. Now, why, Jesus doesn't stop there though. Jesus presses into this deeper. Why is this knowledge of God so precious? And Jesus tells us in these verses that this knowledge of God is so precious because it is not earned, but it is granted as a gift. So think about this now. Think about the setting here. The disciples are returning from this epic short-term mission trip, right? Like everything went great. The slides that they have to show are awesome, right? They've got great stats, you know? All the people served and all the lives changed. 
This was a tremendous success. And so they come back, and I imagine the disciples are feeling pretty good about themselves. And in verse 21, when Jesus speaks to them there, you notice that Jesus refers to them as little children. And not only does he refer to them as little children, we might think, well, that's not that bad, you know. He refers to them as little children in contrast to the wise and the understanding. So there's the wise and the understanding over here. There's the little children over here. The disciples are little children. The wise and the understanding are over here. And you could imagine the disciples might be thinking to themselves, little children, did he see just what happened? Did he, does he know what we just did? The demons were subject to us. It is obvious from these verses, Jesus is not impressed with the disciples. Jesus is impressed with the sovereign, gracious purpose and will of God for their lives. Jesus is essentially saying to the disciples here that their knowledge of God is not the result of their spiritual maturity. It is not the result of their personal piety. It's not the result of their great knowledge or their insightful wisdom. They are not wise. They, do not ha- they are not full of understanding. In fact, they lack wisdom. They lack understanding. They are like little children, and yet it was the pleasure, the joy of the Father to reveal himself to them. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. That's why knowledge of God is so precious. Because some, Jesus says, will know the Father. Some will not know the Father. But those who know the Father only know the Father because he chose to reveal himself to them. Wow. And that is true of you this morning if you're a Christian. If you are a Christian this morning, if your name is written in heaven for all eternity, this is the reason why, and the only reason why, because of the sovereign, gracious will of God, it pleased him, it brought him joy to reveal himself to you. Jesus goes on to make a similar statement in verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed, or that word could be translated happy, Happy are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Oh, how precious to know God. I went to the, this may seem like an odd transition at first. I went to the barber shop this last week, and uh, I went to get my hair cut. And I went to a barbershop that I've been going to for a while, and I've been getting to know the guys in there who cut hair. And uh, my son and I went this last time, Noah and I. And I walked in the front door, and I am not joking. I walked in the front door, and like right when we opened the door, like the first thing these guys said to me, they were really excited about it. They were like, what do you believe about free will and determinism? And uh, they had never asked me a question like that before. And um, so I was a little bit shocked, but I thought, Man, this type of conversation I like. So, uh, so we jumped in and, and started having that conversation and started talking about it. 
And I was thankful because through that, then I was able to talk to them about the Lord and to talk to them about the gospel. But you know, most of the time when people have discussions about like man's will or God's sovereignty or divine election or predestination, all of these things are kind of in the same category. Most of the time it's polemical. What I mean by that is that it's a debate, you know, like it's a a philosophical, theological argument. And, and it is true that the scriptures has, have a lot of things to say about these matters, things that we can learn. And I think it's helpful for us to pursue those things and learn those things. There's also things in the scriptures that we just have to yield and say, you know, there are certain things that are beyond our comprehension and we have to yield to the reality of, of mystery that God is far more wise and knowledgeable and infinite and eternal than we are. But I want you to see from this passage this morning that when the scriptures speak of these realities, of God's purpose to save and redeem his own, of God choosing his children and then redeeming them and saving them for his glory, that in the Bible, when these things are spoken of, it's almost never in a polemical sense, in a, in a sense of debate. It's almost always in the context of joy, of rejoicing a celebration of praising for God's children. Because in the Bible, God's sovereignty in salvation is not just some theoretical or philosophical idea to debate. Rather, for the Christian, it is the foundation of our assurance and it is, according to the Lord Jesus, the source of our joy. Jesus says, you want to know what the joy of the Father and the Son is? The joy of the Father and the Son is that the Father has revealed himself to you through the Son. This is where I want you to find your joy. That God in his mercy and infinite grace has revealed himself to you. And he will save you through my work of redemption. Oh, my friends, ministry for Jesus is often a joy. But a far greater joy is knowing that Jesus knew me before I ever knew him. That Jesus saved me even when I wasn't wise enough to know him, when I wasn't smart enough to figure him out, when I wasn't righteous enough to love him, when I wasn't holy enough to deserve him. Jesus' purpose to redeem my soul. And Jesus says, rejoice in that. That is where your identity is. That is where your identity is. That is an identity that no one can take from you. No one can steal from you. And when you experience great successes in ministry, or you feel like an abject failure in ministry, that will bring you joy and peace. That God has known you and saved you and redeemed you and you are his now and forever. With that in mind, I would just say this. Clark, it is a blessing, brother, to commission you this morning and send you out in the gospel ministry. And brother, over these last several years, you have been a seminary student and you have been a pastoral intern and you have been a facilities director. Now you are a seminary graduate and you will soon be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But don't ever forget, and this is true for you and Meredith, don't ever forget that in the ups and downs of life and ministry, the most precious title that you will ever be given is child of God. You are a child of God by the mercy and grace of God. And that will see you through every ups and every down in life and ministry. This is the most precious reality that we can know in this life. And that is true for every one of us here this morning that is trusted in the Lord Jesus. This is the most precious reality you can know in life. Not to be, not to be a servant for Jesus, but to know that you belong to Jesus, that you are His by His sovereign grace and mercy. In this, we must find our identity. In this, we must find our joy and our delight now and forever. I'm going to actually ask right now, instead of praying right now, we're going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to ask Clark and Meredith, they'll come up front. And uh, I'm going to ask the elders as well, if y'all will come up front during this time. And uh, we have the privilege this morning of uh, praying for Clark and Meredith uh, as we'll be sending them out. And as Stephen mentioned earlier in the service, we'll have some refreshments in the back where uh, we'll be able to enjoy some time with them and, and time with each other. All right. Well, guys, let's pray for Clark and Meredith. And as we pray, uh, let's, let's pray together as a congregation that the Lord would bless Clark, that, they'd ble that the Lord would bless Meredith and their marriage and their ministry as they go forth uh, from us in the days ahead, okay? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning for the hope that you have given us in the gospel. And Lord, what a blessing it has been to have Clark and Meredith here with us at Crawford Avenue over the last several years. Lord, we thank you for their friendship. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the example that they have been to us. We thank you for the many, many ways that they have served our church and our community. Uh, Lord, it has been uh, a blessing to know them and to share these years with them. Father, we do pray for them now, Lord. We pray that you would continue to grow them in their knowledge of you and of your grace. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them in their walk with you and that you would strengthen and bless their marriage. Lord, we pray that you would protect them from the evil one and that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that in the days ahead that you would provide them with everything that they need for life and ministry. And we thank you that you have done that in your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we do ask that as they go forward from this place, Lord, that they would have a deep sense of the reality that they belong to you, that they are yours. And Father, we do pray that in all the ups and downs of life and ministry, Lord, that they would rest in the assurance that they belong to you. Lord, help them to find great joy, great joy in communion and fellowship with you. Lord, we, uh, we pray for the church that they're going to. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers in Springfield, Missouri. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the pastor, the elders there, the congregation that is in that community. Lord, we pray that they would continue uh, to grow in Christ's likeness and in their effectiveness in reaching uh, that city for the gospel. Lord, we pray that as Clark and Meredith go to, to that church, and Lord, we are confident of this, we pray that they would be a blessing to the believers who are there. Lord, we uh, just praise you for how you're raising up leaders in our congregation, raising up even folks that we are able to send out from our body. And uh, we thank you for Clark and Meredith. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.